0: If you have been with us, if you were here last week, you know we started a new series. Uh, we are starting a series in the book of Jeremiah, which I'm sure all of you are very familiar with. Because we don't read Jeremiah a lot. Uh, Jeremiah is one of those books that is kind of difficult to follow because it jumps around a lot. It's not a chronological book like a lot of the other books. So let me set a stage for you and then we're going to talk a little bit about um, Jeremiah's first message to Judah. The original king of Israel was a guy by the name of Saul. Saul was the king. Then David became the next king. Then Solomon became the next king. And then the kingdom of Israel was split between Jeroboam and Rehoboam. Ten tribes went to the north, that was Israel. Two tribes went to the south, that was Judah. And at that point, the kingdom became split. The northern kingdom, Israel, basically has all bad kings. There is not a good king in the northern part of uh, in Israel. And so that group goes into captivity very quickly. And they are taken away into captivity. A lot of prophets come along and try to reach them before they do, but none of them listen, and they go into captivity. Down in the southern part of it, in Judah, which is two tribes, they, and that's where Jerusalem is, by the way, and, and those two tribes, they, they have good kings and bad kings. And so they have a series of about eight good kings. When we look at the book of Jeremiah, we are coming to the end of that kingdom. So what's happening is Judah's down there. The northern kingdom has already gone into captivity. They have had good kings, bad kings, good kings, bad kings, good, good, bad, bad, jumped around back and forth. They now come to the last good king, a guy by the name of Josiah, Josiah is eight years old when he starts and He's going to reign for 31 years. Thirteen years into his kingdom, God comes to a guy by the name of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is probably a fairly young man in his 20s or so. And God tells Jeremiah he's going to give him a very, very difficult task. And, and the Je- prophet Jeremiah is going to spend 40 years in ministry. And in 40 years, not one person is going to listen to him. In 40 years, not one person is going to say, thanks for that advice. In 40 years, nobody's going to come to him and say, hey, Jeremiah, thank you for reaching out and touching my life. So for 40 years, this guy, Jeremiah, is going to faithfully stand up and do what God has asked him to do. So I think he's an important character for us. Jeremiah, when he starts his kingdom, when he starts his ministry, is preaching to a group of people who everything's great. They got money. Politically, they're safe. They got all kinds of time on their hands. Everything is going very, very well. They feel safe and secure. And then what's going to happen is Jerusalem is going to fall. And Jeremiah is going to watch some of the very people that he preached to go off into captivity. And then he's going to be stuck with a small group, a small remnant that he's going to end up preaching to as well. Because after Josiah, four bad kings come in. And then Israel goes into, or Judah goes the same way that Israel went, and they go into captivity. And so that's what happens in this story, and that's what what Jeremiah is stepping into. So what I want you to realize this morning is that when Jeremiah is preaching this, things are going great. They got a good king. When Jeremiah, when we look at the passage this morning, they got a good king. They got money. They got time. They don't have to worry about an enemy. Everything's going pretty well for them. So you have to understand, when Jeremiah comes in and says some of these things, everybody's like, eh, it ain't that bad. But it's going to get really bad, because this is the warning for them to turn before God's judgment comes, and they don't listen. And so they do go into captivity, and they experience all the things. So this is Jeremiah's first message to Judah, and he's trying to get their attention. And the one thing I like about Jeremiah, he does not play around. He calls it like it is. But again, nobody wants to hear what he's about ready to say. So what we're going to do this morning, we're going to look at the at, at, at chapter 2. Chapter 2 is actually an introduction to the next six chapters. But it really lays the groundwork for the kind of message that, I, that Jeremiah is going to be preaching. So basically, in chapter 2, he's got three things that he's going to hammer into these people and deal with. And we're going to break them down as we read them. The first thing he's going to do is he's going to remind these people, he's going to tell these people, look, the problem is you've forsaken God. And then he's going to come to him and say, and not only have you forsaken God, but you have pursued other gods. uh, You've been attracted to other gods. And the problem with all of that is you don't have any remorse at all. You don't even think what you're doing is wrong. And so that's the message of chapter 2. So let's break it down I'm going to read the passage, I'm going to read a section, and then I'm going to point out some stuff, then we'll go to the next section, point out some stuff, go to the next section, point out some stuff, and then we're going to apply it, all right? So, so you know where we're headed. Here we go. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse starting in verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me, you see this three times, by the way, he says, the word of the Lord came to me, go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem, I remember the devotion of your youth, how as a bride you loved me and followed me through the desert, through a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. All who devoured her were guilty, and disaster overtook them, declares the Lord. He's going back to what happened to the children of Israel when they went on a lamb. He said, God used you, gave you whatever you wanted. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, all you clans of house of Israel. This is what the Lord says. What fault did your fathers find in me that they strayed so far from me? They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. They did not ask, where is the Lord who brought us up out of Egypt and led us through the barren wilderness, through a land of deserts and rifts, a land of drought and darkness, a land where no one travels and no one lives. I brought you into a fertile land to eat its fruit and rich produce, but you came and defiled my land. You made my inheritance detestable. The priests did not ask, where is the Lord? Those who dealt with the law did not know me. The leaders rebelled against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal. They've started following worthless idols. It goes on. Therefore, I bring charges against you again, declares the Lord, and I will bring charges against the children's children. Cross over to the coast of Kittim and look. Send to Kedar and observe closely. See if there has ever been anything like this. Has a nation ever changed its gods? Yet yeah, Really, they're not gods at all. But my people have exchanged their glory for worthless idols. Be appalled at this, O heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that can't hold water. Is Israel a servant, a slave by birth? Why then has he become plunder? Lions have roared, they've growled at him, they've laid waste his land, towns are burned and deserted. Also, the men of Memphis and Tamsfada Tams- shaved their crown of your head. Have you not brought this on yourselves by forsaking the Lord God when you were led in the way? Now go to Egypt to drink water from Shinar. And Why do you go to Assyria to drink water from the river? Your wickedness will punish you. Your backsliding will rebuke you. Consider then and realize how evil and bitter it is for you when you forsake the Lord, your God, and you have no awe of me. And notice that last phrase declares the Lord, the Lord almighty. Jeremiah's first or Jeremiah's first accusation to these people is look, he says you guys have forsaken God. He said you are worshiping idols that are worthless. Uh, Historically we know that there's an area not far from here, and they have found that during that culture, during that time they worshipped a total of like two hundred and fifty eight idols. 258 different belief systems about idols. And he said, you guys, have, you guys have forsaken God. He said, You don't have any gratitude. He said, You've forgotten everything God's done for you. He said, not only that, he said, your your leaders, they've rebelled. In fact, your priests are actually prophesying for Baal now. Even God's people have abandoned him. God's leaders have abandoned him. He said, In fact, no other nation has done what you've done. He said, you guys have abandoned your God. What he's talking about here is in this culture, there was this polytheistic kind of belief system, very much so what Aaron and Lori experienced in Papua New Guinea. And in Papua New Guinea, here's the problem missionaries have there. When when, when, When you come to a tribe, what they want to do is add your religion to theirs. So they just want to add religion. So a, a missionary comes in, and they want to add that religion to their belief system. What Aaron and Lori have to do is they have to spend time explaining to these people, if you're going to follow Christ, you're going to follow Christ alone. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to put your faith and trust in Christ, not the other stuff too. And that's a big big issue for them. In this culture, what a lot of people did was they simply added the Jehovah God to their, their gods. What Israel had done, what Judah had done, is Judah had looked at it and said we don't want anything to do with our God anymore. We're we're not even going to try to worship that God. We're going after these other gods." And Jeremiah comes to him and he says look, he said no other nation does what you guys have done. He said you've exchanged freedom for bondage. He said there's two key sins. He said first of all you've abandoned God's glory. And he said, you're building wells that won't even hold water. And then he goes on to say, you've become slaves. That little thing about shaving your head, that's a reference to Egypt. And what would happen is when you became a slave in Egypt, they would shave your head, kind of like what the military does. You know? I mean, you think about it for a minute. What happens when you go into the military and in basic training? What, is, what, what do they always do in basic training? They shave their head. Why? You may know, the thinking behind it. What's the thinking behind it? Ah, uh, yeah. Make sure you don't have lice. What else? Everything, everybody's the same. And we're teaching you what? Think about it for a minute. Those of you who have been in basic training, who are the only people with hair? Exactly right. The leaders have hair. Why? You're subservient to them. They're trying to show you your place. And that's what Jeremiah says to them. You have actually become slaves to the other nations voluntarily. You were supposed to come into this land and rule. And you've come into this land and not ruled. You've come into this land and let others rule you. He said, and, and so Jeremiah comes to the people and goes, I don't get what you're doing. And he says, you have abandoned the almighty, that little phrase, the Lord, the almighty God. That is a very specific term for God. It means ruler, sovereign over nations over the celestial body, over creation, over everything. He said, you've taken the great, high, muck of everything and said, we don't want anything to do with him. And you've taken the top God, if, if you want to call them gods, the top God of all of them, and you said, we don't want anything to do with it." He says, you've abandoned him, and I don't get it. And then he goes on, and here's what he says. Verse, uh, yeah, 20. Now he gets really specific with them. He says, you have broke off your yoke and tore off your bonds. You said, I will not serve you. Indeed, on every high hill and under every spreading tree, you lay down as a prostitute. I had planted you like a choice vine of sound and reliable stock. Why then did you turn against me into a corrupt, wild vine? Although you washed yourself with with, uh, soda and used abundance of soap, The state of your guilt is still before me, declares the Lord, the sovereign Lord. How can you say, I'm not defiled, I have not run after Baal? See how you behaved in the valley? Consider what you've done. You are a swift she-camel running here and there. A wild donkey accustomed to the desert, sniffing the wind in her craving, in her heat who can restrain her. And males that pursue her need not tire themselves. At mating time they will find her. Don't run until your feet are bare and your throat is dry. But you said, it's no use. I love foreign gods. I have to go after them. As a thief is disgraced when he is caught, so the house of Israel is disgraced. They, their kings, their officials, their priests, or prophets. They say to wood, you are my father, to stone. You gave me birth. They've turned their backs on me and not their faces. Yet when they are in trouble, they say, come and save us. Where then are the gods you made for yourself? Let them come and save you if they can save you. Oh, you are in trouble for you have as many gods as you have towns. Oh, Judah, why do you bring charges against me? You've rebelled against me, declares the Lord. He basically comes to these people and he says, look, he said, what's going on? And he uses all of these terms, all of this, the, this picture. He says, you live like an oxen with a broken yoke. Uh, and that day, they would, they would, that's how they farmed, is they would have an oxen, they would yoke them together. But if the yoke was broke, and you were trying to steer the ox, and what would happen? But one ox is going to just do his own thing. And he said, that's what you are. You're, you're, you're like, God's trying to steer you, but you're like off doing your own thing. And he talks about the idea of a, a she-camel. The idea is that is it's like a riderless camel. And if a camel doesn't have a rider, it just kind of wanders all over. Doesn't have any purpose, doesn't have any direction, just goes everywhere. And then he goes on, and he says, um, he says, you're a wild donkey. Uh, okay, you, you, I love preaching at Farm Community because you can say stuff like this. It, a donkey in heat. How's that for a vivid image? A donkey in heat. What does a donkey in heat do? It looks for anything. And that's what he's saying. You are actually running out after anything you can find. You are letting your lust totally consume you. For whatever it is you want, you're out there pursuing after it. And he draws other pictures as well. He talks about the idea that he said, um, you, you're like a choice vine. He said it was planted. Uh, this really resonates with me. Years ago, uh, Gary and I, um, we have this thing about trying to grow trees at our place because they didn't have trees. So, and, and neither one of us are deer hunters, but we're about ready to become deer hunters uh, because of what they're doing to our trees. But I, I, I got, years ago I got a, uh, it was a purple ash, but it had been grafted onto a different stock. And a gorgeous tree. And so I had planted like six or eight of them or whatever else. But one, we got a wind one year, and it literally snapped it off at about this high. And I don't know why, but it, all the other trees are fine, but that one, it just snapped off. So I just cut it off. And it's funny because now when you look at my row of trees, you go down and you see all these trees until you get to that one. And there's something growing. I don't know what it is. It's like this bushy thing. That kind of comes up and it looks really out of place. Because it's like, okay, that's a nice row of trees. What's that? And he said, Israel, that's what you become. God took you, took you, planted you in this great soil, in this great place for you to rule, for you to have this incredible life, and what you said is, no. And it's like you cut yourself down, now you're just growing wild. And nobody knows what's coming up. And he comes to Israel and he says, or I say Israel, but it's Judah, okay? Uh, He comes to him and says, look, that's not what God intended for you. And then he gives him a touch of irony. He goes, look, you're actually going to a, um, you're actually coming up to a wood god and saying, oh, you give me life. You give me breath. Thank you. Oh, do I worship thee. Okay, this is what they were doing, and they didn't get it. And then when your life goes south, all of a sudden now you run back to God and you go, hey, God, what are you doing to me? And Jeremiah looks at him and says, you know who you need to be talking to? Hey, what are you doing to me? Go back to your gods of wood and stone. Go talk to them. You think they're, the, you think they're doing you so much good, you go back and let them deal with you. And, and they don't get it. By the way, remember... Everything's going good. Everything in, their, everything in their culture, everything in their world is going fine. So it almost looks like this is like this insane guy talking about this crazy stuff. And nobody wants to pay attention to him. You ever felt that way? When you try to say that something is wrong and you're unchurched, unchurched, people who don't have any association with the Bible kind of thing look at you like you're from another planet. That's the way Jeremiah felt for 40 years. And he goes on, and he says, you know, Jeremiah basically says, look, why do you bring charges against me? You've rebelled against God. And then he wraps up this chapter this way, and here's what he says. In vain, I punished your people. They did not respond to correction your sword has devoured your prophets like a raving lion. You of this generation, consider the word of the Lord. I have been a desert to Israel, a land of great... Have I, been to desert to, have I been a desert to Israel or a land of great darkness? Why do my people say we are free to roam, we will come to you no more? Does a maiden forget her jewelry, a bride her wedding ornaments? Yet my people have forgotten me, days without number how skilled you are at pursuing love. Even the worst of the women can learn from your way. On your clothes, men find the lifeblood of the innocent poor, though you did not catch them breaking in. Yet in spite of all this, you say, I am innocent. He is not angry with me, but I will pass judgment on you because you say, I have not sinned. In other words, they're saying, Jeremiah, we ain't done anything wrong. We're doing fine. If, If God was so upset with us, he would judge us. And he's not judging us, so we're good. And he goes on to say this. <clears throat> Why do you go about so much changing your ways? You'll be disappointed by Egypt as you were by Assyria. You will leave that place with your hands in your head. For the Lord has rejected those who you trust. You will not be helped by them. So he then wraps this thing up as he comes to the end of this chapter, and he goes, look, you know, you know, the problem is you don't see what's going on. He said, you're like a married woman who doesn't want anybody to know she's married. Can you imagine this? Can you imagine somebody getting engaged here? And let's say this past week they got engaged. Now, you know how most engaged women walk around like this, right? They want everybody to know. Can you imagine a girl getting engaged and looking at everybody, looking at her future husband and saying, now look, thanks for that ring. It is absolutely gorgeous, but I'm not going to wear it because I don't want anybody to know we're engaged. In this culture, they actually had jewelry that would mark a woman as married. And so, by, by, kind of like in our culture, we have rings. Can you imagine looking at your spouse and going, look, you know what, I'm going to be gone next week, but I don't want anybody to know I'm married, so I'm going to leave my ring here. You know? Don't get into the whole wedding ring thing. I know some of you guys don't wear them. I get it. I know the whole farm thing and da-da-da. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's because uh, you know. You better be wearing it. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, can you imagine that kind of culture? And, Israel, and, and Jeremiah says to him, you're like, a, you're like a woman who doesn't want anybody to know she's married. And he comes to him and he says, look. He said, you've condemned the poor. You've shed innocent blood. Um. I don't want to get too far on this. I don't want to go off track. Um, But one of these years, I'm going to do a series on things that change nations. And one of the things that you see, one of the things that you see that brings judgment throughout Scripture is the way that people treat the poor and the way they treat the innocent. Now, that speaks volumes for our country is headed with the whole abortion thing. But you should know that the way that, the way that nations treat that, it, you, can look at the, you can look at the history of nations and when you see certain things happening, they deteriorate very, very quickly. One of those that you see in scripture is the way they treat the poor and the way they treat the innocent. And that's what Jeremiah is addressing here. He's saying, look, the way you're treating the poor and the innocent is gonna bring you into captivity very quickly. And then he ends it by talking about this thing. Why do you go about changing your way? Here's what was happening. For a long time, they aligned with Assyria, and Assyria burned them. So then they started aligning with Egypt, and they started saying, we're going to put our confidence and trust in Egypt, and and as long as we're with Egypt, we'll be okay. And Jeremiah looks at him and says, your confidence and your trust is in the wrong thing. You You cannot trust a political system to help and save your nation. That's what he's saying. Okay, Now listen, The implications for that for us in America today are phenomenal, okay? I believe you pray for your leaders. I believe you get involved in politics. I believe that you vote. All that stuff, okay? But let me tell you something. If tomorrow we voted in all the people that I wanted and everything exactly I wanted, that's not saving our country. It's not saving our country. We're still going down tubes. The way to save our country is to get a group of people who put their faith and trust in Christ and say, I am going to choose to live my life according to the word of God. That changes nations. Anything short of that is abandoning. And let's understand it. That's what Jeremiah's trying to say to these people. He's saying, look, I don't care what's happening politically. I don't care what's happening economically. I don't care about this stuff. You need to look at your heart because that's what needs to be fixed. So that's, his, that's his, his lesson. All right, so you got all of that? Now, wrap it up. Here we go. Number one, how do we apply it? First of all, you and I need to evaluate the place that God has in our life. See, that's what Jeremiah's trying to get across to these people. He's trying to say, look, stop and take a good, hard look at your heart. Stop and ask yourself, am I really passionately trying to follow God with my life? What role does God have in my world, in my life? He said, look, make sure there's a relationship with Jesus Christ. Make sure that's solid. See, too many people, we have this idea that we pigeonhole our life. And we have like our church life, we have our work life, we have our family life, we have our sports life. And we have all of these other issues in our lives. But they're all separate. Um, we talked about this a little bit in Sunday School. It's one, of the, it's one of the truths that Satan has twisted in our culture. We get this hierarchy of, you know, God's first, and then family, and then my job, and da, da No, no, no. God is at the center of all of it. And it impacts everything you do. I believe that as a Christian, you treat a cashier differently because you're a Christian. I believe that when you're in the line at McDonald's and they say, "Will you please pull ahead? we'll bring that right out. As a Christian, you respond properly I'm Not saying I do. I'm saying that's what I believe. It means that it means that when I'm, I'm talking to a customer on the phone and they lied to me, cheated, stole, whatever, I treat them as a Christian would. It means that as a spouse, I treat my, my, my spouse the way the Bible says to treat my spouse. So there's days I look at my wife and I go, you know what, she's, she's in a bad mood and that's okay. It's been a while, but I'm sure there's those days. Um, there's other days she looks at me and goes, uh, you just go do your thing. I'll go do my thing. Great. We'll go along fine. Uh, it, it's as a Christian, you go, no, I'm going to love my spouse. I'm going to be committed to my spouse. I'm going to be faithful to my spouse. I'm going to do those things. Why? Because that's what God, t- it, it, it affects every area of my life. You have to ask yourself. Where is God in your relationship? See, that's what had happened. Judah Israel, they had forgotten about God. They had forsaken him. They had said, you know, he's just not that important to me. Could you go a day without praying? Could you go a day without opening your Bible? Could you go a day without God speaking to your heart? Could you go a day without, in other words, I don't believe this is possible, but just for fun, let's assume, that the Holy Spirit was sucked out of the whole world. Would it make a difference? Would it make a difference in in how you handle things that day? See, it should. Because why? Because that's central to who we are. And that's what Jeremiah's trying to get across to these people. The other thing that he tells them is, you know, here's the problem. You're not taking an honest look at where you're headed. See, they were saying they were okay because their circumstances were okay. That was the problem. They were looking at the outside and saying, everything's okay. You know, yeah, we're following other gods, but you know what? God's not judging us. God's not beating us over the head with a bat, so maybe it's not that big a deal to God. And Jeremiah said, no, no, you've got to stop and ask yourself, look at the path you're on. I mean, you're pursuing other gods? He said, you're actually actively, you're not sitting there waiting for other gods to come to you and invite you to their church or their service. You're actually going and getting a phone book and looking up all of the pagan places you could go to this week. And he said, and your priests, your prophets, the guys who are in charge, they're even worse. Can you imagine me saying, okay, okay, first of all, let me give, give the content. Can you imagine if we were in, in our area and there are like 250 idle places within 10 miles of here? And there's like 250 idol places that you see every day. And here's what happens. And we're and and, and I come into church today and I say, hey, thanks for coming. We appreciate you being here as we worship and focus on the teachings of God. Now, I want you to know that tonight, just around the corner, the um, whiskey idol, that we've got the the whiskey idol church, they're having an open house tonight, and I'm going to be a part of it. And what we're going to do is we're all going to drink ourselves into oblivion and just see what happens. And I want to invite you to come out and be a part of it. Now, what does that do to my message? And what does that do to my credibility? And what does that do to all these other things? You need to understand, that's what was happening. The prophets were saying, yeah, there's no problem with that. Yep, there's no problem with that. Sure, let's go down over here. Let's go down. And and when you study pagan worship of the time you need to understand and I, I'm, I, I gotta be reserved because we have a mixed audience and mixed ages you need to understand that immorality was often involved at levels that you probably have never even considered and it was commonplace and it was catering to the lust of it there's a reason Jeremiah chose some of these images that he did and, and, and the reason is because that's it. But the people of God were going, that's no big deal. And Jeremiah is saying, look, stop and look at the path you're on. Look at where it heads. I can't tell you how many times I deal with people who never did this. And they come to a point where in a lot of cases, it's too hard to go back and undo all the damage that they've done. You need to stop right now, today, and ask yourself, the path that I'm on, where's it going to take me? You got got an idea? You got an idea in your business? If you continue doing your business the way you're doing it right now, where does it end? Where's it going to lead you? If you continue doing your marriage today the way that you've been doing it, where's it going to end? If you continue to raise your kids the way you're doing it right now, what's the end path? What what, what is the probable product that you're going to produce down the line? You stop and look. You know, my wife and I, we started, I mean, 20 years ago, you know, biggest change in our lives. I stopped and said, if I keep going the way I'm going, I'm going to be divorced. Five years, I'll be divorced, guaranteed it. And we stopped and made some really tough changes, really hard changes. Uh, when, we, when our kids were little, my, or as they got older, as teenagers, my wife and I, we would take time, and every year we'd sit down and say, what do we like in Jimmy that we want to encourage, and what do we want to try to change? What do we see in Josh that we like and we want to encourage? What do we try to change? We had a plan. Five years ago, we sat down with our finances and said, you know what? If we keep going the way we're going, where are we going to be? And we realized the path that we were on was not going to end up where we wanted to be. So we stopped. We made some tough choices. We changed some direction, and we got on a different path. Too many times people don't do this. And what happens is they just allow life and culture to to to, to, so. You know, I mean, they saw it was on sale. I had to buy it. Now, that's only true if it's a tool. You should know that. You know? But, I mean, really, we got to stop and step back and say, you know what, if I stay on this path, where does it lead me? If I stay on this path, kids, you're going to be faced with this as you date. If you stay on the path that you're heading for your relationship, where does it take you? When I was a kid, when I was a teenager, I was fortunate, brought a Christian home, all that kind of stuff. Here's the thing I used to do. Again, you guys think I'm kooky as a $3 bill, but that's all right. It it, it got me where I am today. I I had a couple of rules when I dated. First of all, I always asked the girl's father if I could take her out. You know how intimidated it is for a 16-year-old kid to walk up and say, can I date your daughter? Secondly, we always started a date with prayer, and we always ended a date with prayer. You know that when I was in college, my wife and I had dated for a year, then we broke up. And in that time that we broke up, and she was realizing what a good thing she had. Um... (laughs) I I, dated, I was at camp work up in Wisconsin, and I dated a girl, another college girl from another college. And, and, and I, again, you know, I, I at that point, I couldn't talk to her dad, but I had asked her out. And so I went to the camp director and asked his permission. Did that, took her out, had a word of prayer. And, and, and I look over when we were, uh, started the debate, we had a word of prayer. I look over, and this girl's in tears. And I said, what's wrong? I said, did I screw up that bad already, you know? And she goes, you know what? I have to tell you, you're the first guy that has ever prayed with me. And I thought, you're, you're 20 years old. How sad is this? How sad is this? You, you choose your path, and I'll tell you pretty much, again, I'm not saying it all the time, but it, it, it sets a direction for you, and you got to decide right now what path you're on. And, you, and if you don't stop and look, I'm here to tell you, society and culture will run you over. And they will set that agenda for you. Parents, you've got to decide real fast what your agenda is with your kids. Because if you don't, the school system will run it for you. The sports system will run it for you. The extracurricular system will run it for you. The academic system will run it for you. You have to choose. And I think it's so important. And that's what Jeremiah is saying to these people. He's saying, look, look at the path you're on. It's not ending well. And the last thing he looks at him is, look at what you're trusting in. You're trusting in politics to save you. You're trusting in politics to rescue your country. He said, you're going to be disappointed. You're going to walk away with your hands in your head, shaking your head, going, how could I have been so wrong? And guess what happens in Jeremiah's lifetime? He watches that very thing happen. And he later, now he's preaching to a great a large group of people. When he's done, he's preaching just a handful of people who are left. And basically, the handful of people are left. You know why they're left? Because they didn't have much value in society. Because all the young, strong people were in captivity. So basically, he's left with this ragtag little group that he's trying to preach to and, and, and reach at the end. And you've got to be honest with yourself. What are you trusting in I mean, where, where, where's your confidence? Where's your trust? I, I, I see too many people. Their confidence is in what their bank account is. And then financial tough times come. Their confidence is in politics. So all of a sudden, something happens, and they're all bent out of shape and depressed and all upset about it. I see people whose confidence is in their family or their health. i tell you something. If your confidence is in anything other than God, you could be setting yourself up to get hurt really bad. And Judah was trusting in everything else. So they're all kind of tied together. And Jeremiah comes to these people and he goes, look, folks, wake up. For most of you, you're like me. Things are going okay. Oh, they could always be better, but they're not worse. Now's the time that we look at our life and we ask ourselves these questions. Not when it all hits the fan. Now's the time, each one of us, and I think that's a great thing that we can learn from Jeremiah. Now's the time that we say, okay, what am I trusting in? What are you trusting? Is your confidence really, really, really in God? What direction are you headed? Hopefully it's a better direction than it we were last year. But continually evaluate your life. Continue to look at, you know what? You know what, and, and, and look, I, I'm pretty simple about stuff like this. I, I i like to think that i can- that i can I can multitask but we're learning now that multitasking we're not as good as we think we were so here was kind of our thing there were a lot of things that we wanted to encourage with our kids, and there were a lot of things that we wanted to change with our kids, but we only focused on one we'd pick one there are a lot of things that 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 we, we sat down and had to break down into smaller groups and just focus on. So here's my area pick one area of your life this week that you want to take a good hard look at. Maybe it's your relationship with your spouse. Maybe it's your relationship with your kids. Maybe it's your, your work deal. Maybe it's your finances. What, maybe, whatever it is, take one area and say, all right, what can I do better? That, that's what we're doing right now as a church. We're saying, okay, what did we do well? Where can we improve? What direction are we going? We're not asking you to do anything we're not doing. And sit down and really take a good hard look and ask yourself, all right, what direction I'm going? And then honestly, look at your life and go, you know what, is God at the center of this thing? Because ultimately, your life is going to boil down to this. You're going to stand before an almighty God and give an account. Your eternal destiny is, Hinges on the answer to one question. Did you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Your rewards, your things that that God is honored with, comes down to the question of what did you do with what I gave you? Is it all about you? Is it all about somebody else? Was it all about your impact? Was it all about, you know, and again, you, you know it. When you, go to a, when you go to a cemetery, your entire life is summed up basically in what's on that stone. Your legacy lives on past any memorial that you leave. And I just want to challenge you to take a good, hard look at it and say, you know what? Do people know that my trust and my confidence is in God and God alone? So I end this with this. The people in Judah neglected, to be honest, and take a good hard look at their choices and direction. They started to pursue things that brought them temporary satisfaction. Those were actually the things that sent them into bondage because they replaced God with stuff that had no value. Let's not make the same.